Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 74, the year I was born. We got a guest this week. Everybody, welcome Matt, the tool engraver. Hey, guys. Thanks for the invite. Welcome, Matt. Hey, Matt. So, Matt, uh, why don't you tell everybody what your dominant skill set is, if it isn't already obvious? It is engraving. And uh, what skill class is hand engraving? I'd give it a 7.9. That, that sounds about 7. right to 9. me. That's that right there. Out. It would have to be like 7.9 yeah. in cursive, I though, right? Yeah, yeah. There's it definitely being calligraphy where you could hardly even see what or understand what it was. Yeah, that's that's the yeah. only drawback. You can't really read those those numbers very well. But anyway, it looks pretty, yeah, which what, is which is, is that? that's important right there. So uh, we now come to the section, Matt, where we do our history and fun facts. Uh, did you do any research on engraving to share with everybody? I did. Um, Hit us with it. Whoa. Yeah, what I dug up is that it was actually a little bit older than what I originally thought. Some people claim that engraving started back as far as 500,000 years ago um, and that people have been embellishing things. They've been using it to record history. Um, some people may be familiar with like coats of arms and seals and even like the metal relief seals that people used to seal uh, with wax and envelopes um, whenever they'd Matt, send a... Yeah. I, I got a question. Is is the seal, how much different is that from like a sea lion? They seem uh, really close whenever I see the pictures. They're pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah I guess you, you could, can you can dip a seal in wax, but a sea lion, they get they get angry when you dip them in wax. Oh, temper. That that makes a big difference, yeah. That's the biggest difference. Yeah. yeah. Temper. Yeah. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I, I always get the two confused. I figure Continue. you might you might Continue. know. Yeah, go ahead. So yeah, so I mean they they used them to, rec to record history and I think that's what uh, those of us that have sat through a history class Back when they made textbooks, we probably saw a lot of those um, renditions of historical, um, you know, events. The one of the more popular ones, at least in America, was Paul Revere's um, engraving of the Boston Massacre. Um, of course, it occurred. He back, was a silversmith, wasn't he? He was a silversmith, and I believe his dad was a silversmith as well. And I think he learned from him, from what I dug up. Um, he wasn't an artist, though. He actually took the artwork from a younger gentleman uh, by the name of hmm. Henry Pelham and then engraved it. And then that's what we've kind of come to know. Um, there was some kind of uh, kind of bad blood between the two because I think Paul Revere probably sold some of those prints from those engravings and made money off of it and probably didn't share it a lot with Mr. Pelham. But um I don't know if they ever worked it out. The article didn't go that far into it, but um, so yeah. So uh, you know, it started off people just try to control a tool with their hand, um, and eventually that wasn't enough force. So then they went to what they call chasing, which is where they'd actually use a hammer or a rock or something else to drive the tool into the stone or wood. And then you know, we we screamed through the centuries, and we eventually get to where we are today, where we're using pneumatic engravers at least to, to engrave on fairly hard metals um 
there are a lot of jewelers that still do push engraving and gold and silver because um, it's fairly soft, relatively speaking. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's about the best way I can cover 500,000 years <laughs> without, without bogging it down too much. But All right, that's, that's good. Keep, that's good. I, like it, I like it. You kept it snappy, Matt. That, that's good. Uh, what about you, Tom? Yeah. What, what kind of research did you I, do? You know, he, I was going to say exactly what, what Matt said, and uh, I don't really have anything more to add to that. It was perfect. <laughs> you know, if you didn't say the same thing every single week we have the show, Tom, I would believe you, but I don't. So I'm just... I'm well, just... I knew about the Paul Revere thing, and clearly I had the same information. <laughs> Agreeing with somebody doesn't make it the same information, Tom. Never mind. Tanda, it's what research, kind of research? Research validation. Yeah. That was yeah. some really good research validation, Tom. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for recognizing my yeah. contribution. Yeah. I, I don't recognize it at all. Tanda, well, I think what? Tom. I think Tom bailed because uh, at the beginning of the show, he thought hand engraving was like engraving you did on your hand with, uh, you know, yeah. like tattooing, and and so that's that's what I was going to talk about was tattooing, and and how much that's like laser engraving. That's so uh, not, not even but the but the little thing, little tidbit uh, that I yeah. thought people might find might find interesting is uh, is laser engraving in particular on anodized aluminum is is very much uh, akin to tattooing and tattoo removal, which uh, I don't know why I was just thinking about this when I was thinking about the show, and when you anodize metal, you basically force an aluminum oxide to grow on the outside which is porous and then if you want to dye it you dip it in dye and that is that soaks down into the pores which then gets sealed in which is which is very much like a tattoo and then if you laser engrave on anodized aluminum you're bleaching out the pigments you're like destroying the pigments and bleaching them to white which is pretty much like tattoo removal so oh, tanda you you said that you're making aluminum oxide grow on the surface, right? Well, typically, yeah, it's hard to make it grow on the inside. Well, I mean, that, so <laughs> so, does, does, so anodization is just like aluminum fungus. It's that's uh, it's that's like, what we're... yeah, aluminum fungus, yeah, or aluminum rust. But I like aluminum fungus better. I, I think I'll steal that and start using it. Ah, oh, but nobody washes that. That's just not sanitary. I'm sorry. I, I don't. I don't like that. Uh, that's no. That, this should be a disclosure. Whenever you get like anodized aluminums, listen. It's covered in fungus. Please wash thoroughly. Nothing. Nothing. I think that's, so. Th yeah. <laughs> maybe. Maybe you could laser engrave that right on there. You, you would think so. Fungus. Right? Please wash thoroughly. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. saying. That's I'm uh, laser engraving some parts tonight. I might try to sneak that in in a small font. I mean, it would be helpful. <laughs> Somebody would appreciate that. I know I would if it was the thing that I'm. Is is the thing I ordered from you, or is it something else? Um, no, something something for work. They'll they'll really appreciate the the laser laser fungus warning at the bottom. I'm sure. Well, your stuff is going into outer space. I don't know if they need to worry about fungus so much Hope, up there. This is hope. That's, this is hopefully. This is hopefully aliens. not going into outer space. But uh, but a lot of things that go into outer space get anodized. Oh, yeah, yeah. Space fungus. Space fungus. Space fungus. Yeah. That's yeah. that's. Uh... <sighs> all right. Protective all right. protective space fungus is all I've got. So PJ, what do you what do you have? Well, 
Matt did cover a lot of the stuff that I looked up, but he didn't cover everything. Didn't cover everything because I'm thorough, unlike some people. I already on this tried podcast. that, PJ. No, that's not cool. No, what you said was that you stole my non-research. No. You stole my non-research. I I'm have research, Tom. Okay, <laughs> I have extra stuff to say. That's the difference. Okay, so. hit us with the engraving superstitions. <laughs> if you use an engraver, there, there aren't any. If you use an <laughs> engraver on a full moon, no. Uh, so you can't engrave a moon. Oh, you think you not. <laughs> when Bill's drunk If you enough, use an you... engraver on a full moon, the person will say, ow. Yeah, yeah. Well, not if they've had <laughs> enough bourbon. That'd be fine. But listen, so this is something I found. Uh, I looked it up on a, on a website, which I now can't see because I've scrolled down too far. But uh, there is a thing which I've never heard of called diamond drag engraving. And uh, due to the difficulty and skill required for hand engraving, machines were created in the late 1800s uh, to make the practice easier. The first significant innovation was in the industry was called a diamond drag engraver, sometimes known as scratch or diamond drag engraving. The simple method of engraving uses metalwork such as aluminum or brass, uh, where now it is computer controlled uh, but basically, you just put the engraver on top and scratch uh, a colored top coating off to get a bright finish from underneath. Uh, and that is called uh, diamond engraving, diamond scratch engraving, which I'm sure we've all huh. seen before, but never knew that that was actually the name of it. Um, it's really common for yeah, putting for... serial numbers on parts with a CNC because it's mm. really quick. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then the only other one that wasn't mentioned already is the rotary machine engraving, which I think is just a, a more bl- bland way of saying like a rose engine, which is an engraver that we've already talked about on this show before, which probably every single one of us would love to own, but probably never will. So uh, so that's it. That's, that was the, the research I did. Um, there were no engraving superstitions. I did look, Tom. They they don't. Uh, they they didn't even suggest. They didn't even suggest anything that could have been. I looked up engraving superstitions, and it literally just gave me like witches. Well, what like, about yeah? I was gonna say like uh, you know putting a putting a tube with a bell outside of the grave is like an engraving superstition. That that would be engraving, yeah. Well, actually, I guess that's not a superstition. That was something that was actually practiced. Well, that was for sick people, right? Yeah. yeah. They, need, they needed the bell. But was it an engraved bell? That's what we don't know. <laughs> no, no. The bell was outside. It was an engraved person oh, with an exterior bell. With a plain bell. Well, I don't think yeah. that counts. If they engraved the bell as well, then you wouldn't hear it because they'd, they'd both be in, engraved. If it was a loud bell, you'd hear it. Possibly. I mean, you know, there's still a tube coming up from the bottom. You'd hear that little tinky, tinky sound if it was, you know, high-pitched enough. But um, <laughs> what tube? That's true. That's true. Or they could run wires out. Oh, Tom's not catching on. Let's move on quick. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. Shock and awe. Tom surprised us moments ago <laughs> that he has a dealer's corner. That, shot, that surprised me. <laughs> Tom, what's your dealer's oh corner? Oh, God. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it was only a couple months ago that I was purging everything and getting rid of everything in my shop because we're moving and we didn't know where we were moving to. And this is still a secret except for the patrons, right? Yes. From last week? Yes. Should I share some a little bit of no. that now? No. 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 Okay, no. good. They're not a yeah, patron. They don't, they don't get to hear it. Yeah. No, scum of the earth. But it's all right. To, uh, it's all right so, to buy some little something that you that you'll have to move with you. I, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll just say it this way: is we are moving to a place that has enough room for my for tools. Uh, yeah. I'll cut it off there. Yeah. And um, so instead of selling my Bridgeport, which has been listed for way too much money because I want way too much money for it for like a couple months now. I've now removed the listing and bought another Bridgeport mill today. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's naturally what you do. If you can't sell one, you buy a second one. That's yeah. They, they do better in pairs. Yeah, for sure. It's like a, it's like a puppy. If your puppy's kind of lonely, you, you can either give it to a home that has more dogs. So it has somebody to play with, or you can get another dog. Double down. Yeah. Yeah. Double down. Yeah. Yeah. So I only bought it. So my friend John, um, he sends me listings all the time, kind of like you do, PJ. And uh, Chris Zepp sends me a bunch of stuff too when he can't get to it. Um, but he sent me this Bridgeport. I was like, oh, no way. So I just hit my auto response button, which you can tweak. And it, I think mine is like, I'll take it. When can I get it? Mm. Like, that's all mine says. Like, and uh, the guy later told me that. He's like, like 15 people wanted this thing and I just picked your name out of a hat. Basically. He like (laughs) looked at everybody's account. Like he just went before he picked one. He like went through everybody and like clicked on their profiles. Like, Oh, this this guy's got kids. He's probably fine. Like picked me. (laughs) So my kids, my kids uh, got me the Bridgeport today. Um, and I, and, uh, I talked to him last night and then this morning I knew already, I already knew that I wasn't going to be able to get it this morning. But I was like, let me just wait till the morning to tell him that I can't get it. And uh, I called him. I was like, hey, listen, I'd, I'd love to come there, check it out, and give you the money. And then I need to, you know, i, I got to pick my kid up at, at noon, and there's not enough time. So, And he understood, and he was cool about it, which was awesome, because he didn't care about the money. He wanted that thing out, because he had two new cabinets coming into his shop, which is, like, why he cleaned out that corner. So... I left not knowing when I was going back. And then my wife's like, oh, you could go now. It was like afternoon, just afternoon. Um, she's like, I don't have any more calls, so I can just work down here and watch the kid. So that worked out. So I went and bought this mill, um, maybe 35 minutes from my house. And this guy has, I'll tell you how much it was, so stay tuned. Um, this guy has a four-car garage, double deep. And it's his shop. And in the front, I didn't see the back half. It was like another room. But in the front was um, two, I, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but is it Fadal? Fadal. Mills? Yeah. Fadal. Fadal. I gave a little too much accent there. Okay. Um, they're uh, industrial mills. Is that fair? They're from 1996, both of them. They're huge. They just look like giant cabinets. Yeah. Like they don't look like a mill. Like a big room. Open Each one looks like a there, big there's room. There's one yeah. sitting about 10 it's, feet from me. So I have a pretty that's good true. perspective. Oh, I want yeah. I want one. <laughs> um, so, yeah. It's like the 10. He said he bought them for like 10 grand or so. Like each one, you know. And then spent a couple grand to convert them. 
he's got a, it's a 10 horsepower VFD in the back. Anyways, that's not the story I'm telling, is it? Um, so he's got the Bridgeport mill there. looks great. Uh, looks in really good shape. He's got all the bits and pieces. Uh, even the quill lever has like a auto, uh, auto stop. Otanda's showing us her mill. Yeah. yeah like it's that. just a box. It's Although just a big metal a box. Like bad side of it. Yeah. I've actually never seen that part of your room. Okay. This is new information for me. <clears throat> so I, um, it turns out I went back and got the mill and we, he took his, he's got a little tractor with a little front loader on it and he pushed the mill to my trailer. I winched it on like a pro. I'm getting very good at this now and, uh, tied it down and, and took off. But he's, he's a cool, he's a cool dude. He like makes lots of, he couldn't really tell me what he makes, but he makes parts <laughs> for aerospace he wasn't, he, well, cause it, even if he told me, it's so niche that it's like, who cares, right? Like, they're not, like, it's not <laughs> I got it, didn't I? He's going to bleep it now. <laughs> I'm bleeping that out. I'm telling you right now. <clears throat> I know you are. <clears throat> um, there are no but f- he made his own in aerospace. For, yeah. <laughs> he made his own drone, which, um, like a very large drone, like I would call it a or 20, 26-inch wings, not wingspan, 26-inch props. Mm. Right. And there's four of them. Wow. Right? So it's pretty... Mm-hmm. Not 26. It couldn't have been 26. Shoot. I'm sorry, guys. Maybe it was half that. They were probably like 8 inches a piece, and that would be like 16 inches, maybe. So somewhere around there. Anyways, it was a big drone, and it had two one-gallon gas tanks on it. So that's how big this was, right? Whoa. And uh, two two gallons of gas is somewhere around 16 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And that ran a small engine, two-stroke engine, which was connected to a generator, which gave the drone its electric power. And I went, I was like, that's weird. I didn't, I was like, why does that make sense? Um, Like, what would the, you know, for flight time, what would the equivalent battery give you? And he said, he said two kind of two uh, contradicting things, but I'm sure there's some truth between them. Um, He's like... Uh, the electric battery would give me probably an hour of flight time, and that gives me like three to four hours of flight time, mm. which right. is crazy. Yeah, the energy density and, of gasoline is mm. very difficult to beat. I mean, the, the, the amount of energy statistic? that you That's can extract from that weight of gasoline is so huge. he called it he called it ten to one. That's so ten to one versus one hour to four hours. I, I understand those things don't add up, but that's not the that's not the whole equation. But he said, yeah, gas is like ten times more energy dense than more batteries. Yeah, yeah, than batteries, which I never knew that, and I I hope I need that information at some point in my life. That'll be cool to use. Um, so, anyways, uh, the mill. There's nothing else to talk about the mill. I took the mill off my my truck and put it in. Oh, there is one more thing. I paid three hundred dollars. For this mill. Oh, Tanda's jealous. Man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which I said on my Instagram was uh, six times more expensive than my previous mill. (laughs) 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 My previous mill was 50 bucks. And I did the math. I'll do it real quick. But my, my, this is my third mill. My first mill, I paid 1500 bucks. Guy delivered it. I sold it when I bought my $50 mill. So I'm 1550 in. I sold it for 1850. So I was... I was negative 300 bucks and I spent that 300 bucks on the third mill. So I am net zero on mills right now. And that feels good. feels pretty good. Tom, and, and, you, I and two you have of them. two of them. Yeah. 
And I have two of them, right? Right. So you're really not net zero. Yeah. You're two mils right. up, whatever they're worth. Two. Yeah. They're worth yeah. two mil. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, man, yeah, you're, a mil- so you're a millionaire. Yeah. I'm two millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's uh, so that's my deal. Oh, I bought something else. So uh, something else. I was like, what? Oh, it also came with a rotary table, mm. uh, which I'm pretty sure I could get 300 bucks for. Mm-hmm. And it also came with uh, the Bridgeport Vice with the swivel base, which is cool. It's good to have. And then he, I was like, what else are you selling? He's like, I'm not sure yet, but I got to purge some stuff to make room for other stuff. And there was this like gantry contraption aluminum extruded thing in the corner. Um, no motors on it, no, just hardware really. So it's about four feet long and it's a, it has a ball screw and it's a, it's a X, Y, and Z for, um, a router. I think he was doing a, a rotary plasma cutter. Mm-hmm. So you could like put a pipe on it and the plasma cutter would cut the pipe however you needed to cut it. Mm. But I don't think he, I don't think he ever completed that project, even though it looks pretty complete. As far as like right. the gantry stuff, no, I saw goes. that. I saw that on your um, on your stories or on, yeah. a, on a post, and those are uh, yeah, just just those linear rails and bearings are worth a lot just to have them around yes. to make stuff out of. They're not so terribly a, expensive these days, like from imports, but ones right. that long are not cheap. And that ball screw. Well, he was worth like, you got fifty dollars in ball screws right there. Yeah, like, that easy, was, you know, easily. Right. Yeah. So. I saw it and I was like, I need to flatten some slabs, so maybe that's the first thing I do. And I and if I get some help, maybe I can even automate that to make a really BCNC where it simply goes back and forth, and I can manually pull it down, you know, the length of the thing, um, you know, and even run that on an Arduino maybe with a really simple code. Tom, um, I feel like yeah. I feel like that's the perfect opportunity if you're going to set it up just as a, like a flattening type of a jig to make it completely mechanical to where it starts at one end and it zips to one side hits a switch which then flips the thing to to go the other direction and then it hits the other side which advances it up and then it just it just keeps it keeps going back and forth hitting mechanical switches and there's no computer switch yeah yeah and then it shuts itself off you you could start that's actually a pretty cool idea yeah you could start that thing and then just leave you know what I mean? Like you don't have to watch right. it. <laughs> I always, I always, go, I, like I always go through that mechanism of, of of doing that, and I plan it all out, and then I think, oh, and I just need a switch like this, and then I'm like, I've already exceeded the cost of Arduino. I should just put an Arduino <laughs> yeah. on it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there's a. So there's a I don't cool know what factor. I'll use it for, but I there is. I, I saw that there was value in it, and I was like, I should ask him about that. Oh, and he he said fifty bucks, and I went to my car or the truck, and I grab cash and i was like i can't do 50 but i have 60 and he's like that works <laughs> so uh i i knew he was under underselling it and uh dude the dude sold me a 30 300 mill so i'll give him whatever he wants right how big is that rotary um, table tom it's a uh, relatively small i want to say it's like i want to call it like a nine inch dinner plate probably an eight um, it's probably an eight inch yeah, it's, I don't know. I didn't look at it. I haven't investigated anything yet. Typically, the ones I've run across are 4, 8. Um, I think there might be a 10, but then it jumps to 12, 16, 20. Um, they're sort of weird sizes. They don't really... It's not just like even. It's they like sort of jump. They jump and then, I don't know. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's a relatively small one, but it, I, I could see myself using it for quite a few things. Hold, like hold on capable. to it. Yeah, don't sell it. Hold on to it. Yeah. The oh, no. Rotary- no, no, no. Uh, no, I'll keep it. I've been wanting one, and I just, they're, they're hard to come by, and when they are available, they're usually pretty expensive. Right. And it's small enough to be something you can manipulate easily. We have one at the maker well, space yeah. that I think is a 16 inch. And so it's just, it's like Jeez. ridiculous. It's like get your, yeah, you, you and your four friends. Mm-hmm. It sits on one of right. those jack tables, the scissor lift tables. And you can mm-hmm. lower the knee down low enough and jack the jack up high enough, but you still have to wrestle it from one to the other. And yeah. Right. So Tom, I don't know if you remember, but uh, maybe like a year ago, I got a 12 inch rotary table and I talked about, I do. so that guy Yep. had almost the exact same setup as the guy you just described. He had two giant industrial mills from the 80s. In his, he didn't That's have cool. a three-car garage. He had like a two-and-a-half. It was because yeah. like you, you could go into where the two cars were, but then it it went over. There wasn't another door. But it was the same thing, and he, he said the same thing. He's like, yeah, I put about $13,000 $13, into upgrading them and getting three-phase power. Yeah, and he said, he said, I only yeah. paid six thousand a mil. It cost me more to get the power. And he was moving. He's like, Do you want to buy them? And I'm like, <laughs> You're talking oh, to the oh, wrong oh. guy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, they would live in my driveway. I, I, I can't take I, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've been there. You and, could live and, in and them in your driveway as well. <laughs> yeah, they were bigger than yours, Tanda. These were these were like a half size bigger than the one that you have. They were, if you put wheels on them, you could get in and drive. They were huge. They were huge. I could, I could get yeah, in. I could get thing. in mine and drive. Yeah, yeah. It weighs eighty five. It weighs eighty five hundred pounds. Well, it would go fast downhill. Yeah. So if you got it go, if you got it moving, there'd be there'd be no stopping it. It's it's like that brown bike I told you about. That was the three speed. It, was, mm-hmm. it weighed yeah. about eighty five hundred pounds also. <laughs> All right, that's it. <laughs> Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in, maybe we'll read it on air. All right, it's time for personal history. Matt, you are our guest. What is your personal history with hand engraving? How did you get started? Yeah, um, it was probably probably about four or five years ago now. Um, I live out in the boonies and we get this rural electric co-op paper magazine thing. Um, and they had a really cool write-up on a gentleman that just lived like 30 minutes away from me. And he was a gun engraver. He did, he, he did modern guns, but he, he focused more on guns of the old West and the cowboy shooting, you know, group, um, linked to a little YouTube video, showed him kind of doing it. And I was like, man. I've been on the lookout for something for a while just because I'm, I'd like to have something in retirement to do. I'm not somebody that just sits around and, and doesn't do anything. So, um, I got on his website and I was plucking around and I realized or noticed or, that he actually taught lessons as well, which in this day and age is almost unheard of. A lot of those guys, either they don't have the time or they don't have the patience or they just don't want to teach anybody. Um, and he would do this about four times a year. He'd only take three to four students at a time, and he provided everything. So all I had to do was give him some money and show up, and I was allowed to um, test out several different types of engraving blocks or the vices that actually hold the work. 
Um, he had several different hand pieces that I could try out and practice with. And he actually forced us to rotate even after we found one we liked. He's like, nope, switch, <laughs> and made us move to the next one. Hmm. But I actually did that about two years ago, or I was about four years ago, three or four years ago. Um, and then two years ago, I decided to buy the equipment and um, kind of get started on my own. Um, my wife has put up with a lot of hobbies that I've gone through. So <laughs> in order to pay for the equipment, I had to, like you were talking about, I had to sell off some tools. Um, and I've collected right. old tools for <clears throat> a long time and uh, got me a flea market booth and liquidated a whole bunch of stuff and um, just kind of bootstrapped the whole thing. Um, bought the stuff and then about a year ago, last November, um, I did a Stanley, I think it was a two ninety nine or twelve ninety nine utility knife and posted it on Instagram. Uh, Barry Robbins, I think his handle is old tape sixty one, I believe, on Instagram. He shared it with somebody. Oh, yeah. He bought it old right tape. away and then reposted it and um it kind of blew up from there. Um I was at that time just looking for old tools like in the flea markets and antique shops and swap meets and stuff around my house. Um, but I ran out pretty quickly, so I went and uh, discovered those classic Stanley 199 knives, um, and I bought every one within like a 30-mile radius of my house. Um, and then I finally walked into an Ace Hardware one time where the guy said, what are you doing? And I told him, he's like, well, I can order those for you. He goes, and he even gave me a deal because I bought like 100 of them at that time. Um, and I was, I've just been off to the races ever since. Um, I don't. I don't do commission type work where people send me stuff and I engrave it, send it back to them. I just, I pick up tools that I think are interesting and that I want to actually engrave. And I do that. And I've been fortunate that a lot of people out there like it and have bought off of me so I can then afford to go buy more tools and keep engraved. It's really just the infinite game of engraving. I, um, I enjoy doing it. Um, I do it after the day job on nights, weekends, everything else. So, um, that's really cool. Yeah. So when you were you were talking about the different types of uh, vices, um, what what types are there? Like what what? Because um, I've seen there's there's one that's sort of like a, a oh we've just lost Tom, I think he hit his earbud again, he'll be back. So I I know that there's one that has it's sort of like a two almost like uh, half moons, and they have pins in them, and then you just close it in and the whole thing spins. Um, is that is there more than is there just variations on that or yeah there's variations on that there's different sizes i mean the when you think of engraving i mean you've got to imagine there's people that do watches there's people that do guns there's people that do rings so size wise it can really be a, a wide range and there's actually different fixtures that you can attach to the vice too to hold a ring and rotate it or um oh, i think you saw like hand tool rescue had that fractal vice that would mm -hmm. clamp irregular mm -hmm. shapes. They actually have those um, for uh, engraving vices as well. So if you're wanting to clamp on something that's just not symmetrical or not, you know, just not easy to get a hold of. Um, but yeah, the two moons kind of move in and out. The pins are if you want to set something on top. Um, with the gun engraving, and I've also started doing it now too, is actually like um, adhering the piece that you're engraving to like a board and then clamping that into the vise. So if you have something, like I've done some uh, really thin brass protractors, um, some of the mm -hmm. older ones, I can hot glue that to a board to where it doesn't move and it's got a real firm backing. 
because um, vibration is kind of the enemy. When it starts vibrating, then you'll break tips right. and stuff. Um, but yeah, the real trick for I a like lot a of these things is just getting getting the workpiece held stable. And like you kind of described, it's on like a ball and socket, like your hip joint might be, and then it rotates as well. So you can kind of move it all around. And I've got a, what they call the Goliath vise by uh, Steve Lindsay, but it's a 30-pound vise. I mean, it's, it's heavy. And I did that because I thought, well, if I ever have the bright idea of trying to engrave like a number six, seven, eight, you know, Stanley plane or something, I want I want it to be able to hold that thing. Um, I haven't done that yet. I did put a spud wrench in it one time, and I've also put like an 18-inch pipe wrench in there before and engraved that, and it, it did pretty well. But I, always, I wanted to kind of err on the on the oversized because I can still move it around and, and manipulate it. Um, I definitely didn't want to buy one too small. <laughs> Bigger is better, like they say in the South. Make it bigger, Mama. Make it bigger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's that's cool. I I want to see pictures now. Um, I've I've been putting off. Well, I'll talk about my stuff later. I'm I'm curious about the vices. Um, I have a vice collection, but none of them are for engraving. So you're talking about the the vibrations. Is that because you're using um sort of sort of a, like a uh, a, a flex shaft with like a chisel attachment? Um, not really. I don't, I'm not sure what you mean by flex shaft. I've heard that term before, but um, basically what I have, and you guys can see it here, but it's uh, it's just a small pneumatic. It's got a single piston in it, and it's basically just a tiny little jackhammer. I mean, it's a, mm -hmm. I don't know what size bit that is, probably a little over an eighth of an inch um, square, but it just, just, it just goes back and forth. Um, and yeah, since you're sharpening it to a point, I mean, it of course depends on what metal you're engraving to. You know, brass brass is like butter. You know, you can you can cut through that pretty easy. And and the knives are either some sort of zinc alloy or aluminum, something like that. But like, I've done some climb pliers, and they're drop forged, and then also hardened on top of that. Um, and for those, I need to dub the tip a little bit to get a steeper face, and then I also need to kind of bump up the PSI's a little bit to give it a little bit more of a punch to get through that. But Huh. There's a lot of that's, variables. That's and... not what I thought the tool looked like. What's that? Sorry. The uh, It looks like an awl. Would I, is that a fair yeah. description of what you just showed yeah. us? Yeah, I mean, you can see here. It looks like an awl, but it's a single-piston pneumatic thing with a hose coming out of the yeah. side. Yeah, and there's just a rubber I had to Google it while you were talking. pad on the back that fits in the palm of your hand. Um, mine's actually foot-powered, so, so if anybody's ever used like a so old sewing, old-style sewing machine with a foot pedal. Um, but they do have ones that actually you can squeeze the back of it and it's actually a palm control. So just the pressure when you squeeze in your hand will control the, hmm. control the engraver too, which is, how much? it's nice. I got to play with one. They're a little more expensive, but I don't know. My hands were busy enough. <laughs> I thought I'd give my feet something to do and just go with the foot pedal first. How, how much are you pushing it versus the tool just doing the work? Are you just kind of um, guiding it with your hand, or is there a fair amount of force to kind of keep it moving through the material? Yeah, the engraving hand, the one that's got the, the engraver in it, it's actually holding still. And so like we talked about with the, how the bias can rotate, you're actually rotating the work into the tool. And so like some oh, people think, you know, you should be able to, you know, how do, how do you draw those scrolls and all that stuff? Well, you know, that hand is just sitting still. It's my other hand that's doing all the work and moving it into the actual the bit. And so that's why the vice has to be mm. so kind of manipulate, you know, able to manipulate all these different, especially if you're doing something that's con convex or some people, you know, like in the inside of a ring, they've got bits that are actually angled where you can cut in, 
have concave surfaces as well. Hmm. Um, but yeah, for the most part, that hand's sitting still, and the other hand's the one that's doing all the work, rotating the piece and into it. So, but you do so have if to, you're right-handed, you, do you hold the tool in your right hand and manipulate the piece, or do you reverse it from your dominant hand, or is that just kind of whatever's comfortable? Yeah, for I guess you? it could go either way. I hold mine in my dominant hand and then turn with my left. I'm right-handed, and then I turn the work with mm-hmm. my left hand. Um, but I, I can see. Well, there's there might be instances where you have to do it the other direction too. Um, again, like when you're cutting scrolls, like when you're thinking, you know, like the face of a clock, you could be cutting on the top part of a scroll or on the bottom part, and so you could be going counterclockwise or or clockwise with it. Right. And I can see maybe a situation. I haven't run into it yet where you may need to switch up and use the other hand depending on what you're engraving. Um, I try to stick on surfaces that are fairly flat and don't have a lot of like borders that might be raised or you'd run into them when you're trying to take a corner. Right. That makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so when you're, when you're, I've never looked this up. Um, clearly I didn't do my research. this week. <laughs> um, when you're rotating and you're doing, what are those curves? What are those curves called? I know there's a name. for I them. just call them scrolls. Right? Isn't there a, just scrolls. Is, scrolls. Yeah. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Okay, so they they narrow, right? They get they roll up onto themselves like a like a tape measure. They can a little bit. It depends on the material. You can have some that just that just fracture off. Like I've done like cast brass as opposed to rolled brass will behave differently. Sometimes it'll just chip off, okay. like in chips. Well, I guess, sometimes it'll curl. Well, I'll ask my question, and maybe you'll. Yeah, that's this is why I'm asking this. But as you're rotating, do you just kind of change the the I'll say the angle of the the tool to travel towards the center of the circle versus. Oh man, I wish I knew how to describe do you, this better. Do you kind of drive the tool by pointing it in the direction it's going to go next, or do you? Yeah, like, I, move your. That's probably your a good hand. way to look at it. I mean, or are you moving it left? If you think of like a record player and how the needle runs on the on the on the record, yep. you're really just moving almost at a pivot point, not really. I mean, you can you can get your arm up and, and and move it around if you need to, but for the most part, as it's rotating, you're just moving, you know, the engraver you're just decreasing in, in or, or out increasing of that the radius. radius. Yeah, interesting. Okay, but then okay. there's no that answer. So it's it's not what I was thinking. Yeah. It's you described it well. But then you can also, I mean, I'll throw in here real quick too, like just by rotating the engraver from one side to the other. If you think of it like a the the you know the keel of a boat. You can get it to cut more on one side than the other, and that's how they get like the, you know, to get it to have a wider face where it might uh, catch more light. You know, depending on what what type mm-hmm. of effect you're wanting to have, whether you're doing a flower or something like that. But or even in lettering, sometimes you'll, especially like those monograms, you'll see where some some cuts are wider, some are narrower, some are are leaned out one direction. But, and so then you the, can grind them the at term- different degrees as well like you can have 96 116 degree faces you can you can play with that as well are they are they typically symmetrical but just a wider narrower included angle or are they sometimes asymmetrical uh with hand at least my hand engraving they're usually somewhat asymmetrical um but yeah going deeper will cause you know wider faces bringing it up out of the cut like if you like if you ever had to like chisel you know with the bevel down Mm -hmm. You know, bringing the butt or the, or the handle of the chisel down, make it go shallower, bring it up, and it'll go deeper. It's the same same effect. It's just a metal chisel, really. Mm-hmm. So the, the name of the, the scrolls that you guys are talking about are called flourishes. 
Yep. That's the flourishes. Yeah, that's the technical term. So uh, what what we were what I was talking about, you're using a an air powered graver, Matt, and what I was talking about, the flex shaft, uh, the most the industry standard is Fordham. Fordham makes an electric motor that hangs and then it's got a flex shaft, a a it's it's a well, it's a rotary tool. It's a rotary but it's, tool, but it's a handpiece. You can switch the hand pieces out. Um, <clears throat> typically, the handpiece it comes with is just like a Dremel, um, mm. but you can switch that out for an engraving, uh, an impact tool. So instead of it spinning, it actually has the piston, just like the air-powered one, and it does have a foot pedal. You can control it from zero to like depending on which motor you get, usually it's around 10,000 RPMs. Um, mm -hmm. But it's the same kind of like sewing machine foot pedal that you are probably using okay. um, with the air piston. Uh, the only difference is it's probably a little quieter um, than what you have. I'm assuming that the, the air power, it's got to, the compressor's got to be a little noisy. Um, I actually run mine off a quiet air compressor in our house, and it's actually fairly quiet. But... Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think I've seen those. Now that you say that, I think I've seen those rotary tools like for 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 jewelers that set like stones. They'll usually use a ball yeah. mill to to hollow that out and then set the stones in there. So yeah, I think I think I have seen those. I haven't really delved into them too much, but but yeah, yeah. I I used to be a jeweler, so that's that's where really? I my knowledge of these comes from. And I've been hemming and hawing about buying one of those hand pieces to, to get the, the what we're talking about the engraver the engraver's hand piece that's the attachment mm -hmm. on eBay it's like thirty bucks like it's not it's not a lot it's very very affordable if you already have everything else um, and then of course you buy whatever kind of tips you want whatever graver tips that are going to fit in there um, but anyway um, it's probably the exact same experience as what you're using except for how you hold it uh the the fordham tools are like a lightsaber they're like a tube whereas what you have is what tom pointed out is more of an awl shape or what i would call a hand graver shape because i have hand gravers so it's it's the hand gravers for those of you listening it's kind of like a mushroom cap with one face of it sliced off so you know uh, where the top is. Correct. So that's uh, that's basically it. Mm -hmm. um, so what would you say is the most interesting thing out of all the stuff you've engraved? What's been the, your favorite so far? Oh, boy. <clears throat> that's kind of hard to pick. Um, <laughs> but you have to. You must. We will yeah. wait. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're under contract. You're under contract, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna hold the check. Hold the check unless I unless I uh, answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. <laughs> I do. What I, do you like to engrave? Yeah, I do like I do like gun engraving, and I you know we've we've got the the Bass Pro Museum, the national headquarters in town, just a little ways away, and I go in there and look at the actual period pieces from the late 1800s. And as badly as I want to do that, I just don't know that much about firearms because you have to disassemble them usually to some point to do it. Um, and so my favorite ones really have been those leather draw gauges from that period. They still, I think Weaver Leathercraft makes them or used to make mm -hmm. a modern aluminum one, but since they do look similar to a gun already, and of course they have the ones with the rosewood handles and they're cast brass. I just, I, I just think those are beautiful tools. And especially 
to have lasted this long. You know, the tool hasn't really changed much in the last 150 years. Um, I just think it's kind of cool, you know, to be able to to engrave something like that. And it's very similar, like I said, to a to a handgun or a firearm. Um, and just ergonomically, it's kind of like when you grab one of those old hand planes, you know, it just fits in your hand perfectly. Um, those guys really nailed down the design from the get-go, and um, and it's really remained unchanged ever since then. Um, that's probably my favorite favorite ones to engrave. I I can I can relate. I have I am not a gun guy. I don't own any firearms, but I really appreciate the mechanics. That's mm -hmm. the thing that interests me is there's so it's so I have uh, an antique lighter collection. I don't smoke. I've never smoked. <laughs> but there's so many ways. I have over 200 lighters. There's so many different ways to make a compact lighter, pocket lighter, um, that you, if you get into these mechanisms, it's really fascinating, the engineering that went into it. Some of these things are 100 years old, you know, and oh, it's yeah. just... It's, a, it's the same thing with firearms, you know, the, there's, and they're still doing it today. They keep making new guns, and the mechanisms are, they're completely mechanical, which I think is, I think that's one of the few things modern day that is like that, where there, I mean, you can add on like a, like a laser dot scope and things like that, but that really doesn't affect the mechanics of the gun. The, it's it's a completely um, standalone system, whereas everything else you see today that's mechanical has some sort of electronics. Um, so there's still sort of like this kind of uh, purity to the gun. Yeah, so that's I, what I, was I do while I you're do talking. see. Yeah, there's there's an attraction to that. It's a very simplistic thing, but at the same time, can be complicated um, in a way. Yeah, but I think you should do it, man. I think you should, dude. Go buy a cheap gun. And just have fun with it. And make all your mistakes, okay? Get something that's as cheap as you can. Make all your mistakes. And then once you get good at it, then you buy the expensive, you know, vintage just, gun. And you go go to town on that. It's just buy the part. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny you mentioned the lighters, too. Because actually, the closest thing I've done to a gun is actually, a, I think it was might have been made in Japan. But it's on my Instagram page. But it's a cigarette lighter that looks like a little pocket pistol. And my yeah. my youngest hmm. my youngest son is into cigarette lighters and that's he doesn't smoke either he's only fourteen but <laughs> anyway he wanted this thing and I was like let me engrave on that and he's like I don't know I said if I mess it up I'll buy you another one on eBay so I did it and gave it to him he likes it it's it's on the shelf back there but uh, so I have tried but it's it's I think it was uh, probably brass plated I don't think it was even real brass but. <laughs> Yeah, everything everything with lighters is plated. Most stuff that's yeah. even made of brass is then chrome plated. But uh, Japan, it probably is from Japan because they, for some reason, are the source for all gun lighters. I've yet to find a gun really? lighter that's from anywhere else. Yeah, I, 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 I've got a lot. I've got a lot of lighters. Japan has a lot of what we're going to call novelty lighters. Um, even though they were made like these are high end for their day, they were high end lighters. But uh, they, Germany also had a lot of interesting ones. Um, but all the all the ones I'm not saying they don't exist anywhere else. But all the gun lighters I found were Japanese. I, yeah. I don't know why <laughs> that is. <laughs> 
So is there anything else you wanted to share with us about uh, the engraving that you do or the process? Uh, no, I think I covered most of it. It's, like I said, it's very visual. I get a lot of requests to do videos and stuff, and I'm just... You saw how much trouble I had getting audio for this podcast. So, so that's one of the things keeping me back uh, from doing that. But um. Well, you know, you'll 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 go where you're going to go. You know, maybe two, three years from now, you'll have a fully blown YouTube channel and you're, you're teaching your own classes. You never know. These Could things be. have yeah. a, a way of, of finding their own path. Uh, speaking of which, Tom, what's your experience yeah. with hand engraving? You just heard it. I, I just learned everything I know about hand engraving. I just learned right now. Yeah, I believe that for sure. Yeah, I don't think I've ever even scratched a piece of metal uh, except by accident. But it's very appealing. You were, I, <laughs> as, as you've been talking, though, I'm like, oh, maybe I should buy tools. Maybe I should get some. And, maybe, and then I'll have them for the day that I feel like doing that. But it's like, it, you know, you see artwork like you're putting out and you're like, Man, I want to tr- like you. I want to say like, oh, I can do that. I probably can't right away, but it just it makes you want to try. It makes you want to do it. So it's it's very cool. And and you just, I mean, you're doing it on all these old tools, which is just the best. So it hits all the checks all the boxes. Yeah, I don't I don't know if everybody's like this, but I you know I went to a museum. We used to go to this museum when I was a kid a lot because it was free. And it was on a university campus, but they had a lot of really old guns in there. And I don't, you know, I do woodworking as well. And, you know, I like the old tools, but at least with engraving, it's like you're actually looking at the marks somebody put on there. You know, in woodworking, a lot of times we're trying to remove those. You know, there's kind of a, kind of a, kind of a, kind of a renaissance of, you know, using hand tools and having the actual scrub mark planes on the bottom. Things you can actually feel that are kind of, you know, tactile. Uh, but for engraving to actually see and be able to look and see, you know, someone actually put that mark right there on purpose. You know, there's not a lot of a lot of things like that these days. And, I, and then, of course, the older stuff, too, that, you know, they think, well, engraving is permanent. Well, a lot of it gets worn, too. And, if you know, the old the old tool folks mm, out there, right. you know, love. I mean, I have way too many hand saws. You know, that's one of my problems. You have cigarette lighters. But but, you know, to pick up a hand saw and actually see them the indention where the carpenter's finger laid, you know, on that, on the, for me, it'd be on the right side of that handle and know that someone from using that tool over and over again, put that in, you know, that wear mark on that tool. It's just, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a neat, kind of a neat thing. They needed some hand lotion for sure. (laughs) Very, very rough hands to be uh, marking that stuff up. Um, Tanda, what about you? What's your experience with uh, hand engraving? Very little. I've uh, I haven't done any hand engraving, other than um, maybe just just picking up a, a hand graver in the jewelry lab at the makerspace and you know playing playing just a little bit to just see how it feels in my hand. But I've never made anything that was that was hand engraved. I've I've machine engraved lots of things, but that's really kind of boring. That's that's more sit down at uh, at some kind of CAD tool or something and make what you want to engrave. And then the, the, the thing I've engraved, and this was cheating also with the most trepidation was this, uh, bronze casting that an artist friend had made. And it was this intricate bronze casting that he had 3d resin printed the original and then burned out and made a bronze casting of a coral reef 
and then poured resin over the top half of the coral reef to make a um, like a surfer on top of the brass sculpture. And then he wanted his signature engraved in it. And so there was so much work in that by the time I put it on my CNC machine and and programmed in his signature and tried to engrave it. I must have, I, I probably have, oh, I don't know, four or five scrap pieces of big chunks of brass around here with his, with his name engraved on them that I did, you know, just trying to get the tool set up. And, and then when I actually put his sculpture into my vice on the CNC and, and hit start, that was, uh, but you know, there was no, there was no skill involved in, in holding onto the tool or anything. It was like stand back and watch at that point with my finger on the, on the stop button. Mm. So, <laughs> I have I've done very little of artistic engraving. Okay. And that's that's about it. Well, uh, as I mentioned personally, I did some engraving as a jeweler when I had my custom jewelry business, and I have a full set of hand gravers, jewelry gravers, uh, which have I think I've got like uh, maybe six or seven of them, and uh, I've got them all in an index card box which I don't really know where I got them from, but it's a plastic box for storing index cards. And the I, I've only, I really haven't engraved a lot of metal. What I've done a lot of engraving on is uh, tagua nuts. And uh, this is probably not a very well-known name. Uh, it's also called veggie ivory, but they are dried palm seeds. And they're roughly the size of a small chicken egg and they're brown they have a, a a brown coating on them and they're really great for carving if you like to to make stuff that looks like it's ivory but it's actually not ivory um i've i've made a lot of things from them by a lot i mean more than two but what i found uh using the gravers they it's very slow work because the the seeds sort of chip like they don't really cut very easily like the brown sort of barky layer of the seed cuts real smooth but when you get down to that sort of uh, opaque off-white like the hard part of the seed it sort of goes in little chunks and chips it doesn't really go smoothly like metal or like wood so uh, that's a little difficult and then I and then what I ended up finding out was it was better to use uh, a flex shaft tool and the flex shaft tool made everything much easier because it just kind of ground away with the rotary action than, than a straight action. So I ended up just switching from the hand graving to the rotary tool, the flex shaft tool. And, and, uh, and then that was the last thing I was using before I stopped. But, um, I have been feeling the itch the last, probably the last year, really solid. I've been I've been following a lot of engraving accounts, more, you know, Matt's and several other people's, and I have a thing for details and texture, and that is where this comes in. Is the engraving adds that texture, especially to something that could look beautiful. It has it has the predisposition to ha to be something more than what it is, and. Um, I keep, I, I don't know, I think this year is going to happen. I'm going to pull the trigger 
on an impact hand piece for the Dremel or for, for my Fordham uh, and also get one of those uh, rotating vices. Uh, Matt, I might pick your brain on which one to get because I've been, I've been, I'll be honest, I've been looking on eBay and Amazon and they all look identical to me. There's different sizes, but they all look the same. I don't, I don't know the difference from one to the next because I've, I've never bought one of those. All the engraving that I did, uh, I, I didn't have any kind of fancy vice like the Togwanuts. I carved them in my hand. One hand was holding, the other hand had the chisel, and that was it, the graver. Uh, and when I did the jewelry work, um, I just had the work either clamped down to a table uh, or I had it in a, a vise, like a regular vise with soft jaws. And, and that was it. Like the, I didn't have any kind of specialized vise for holding things, but uh, most of those things were shapes that I could modify versus a tool where you can't modify the shape. It's whatever shape it is, you have to work with that. Right. Um, so that's going to be more of a challenge. And, and I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know exactly what it's going to end up being. Um, however, the first thing that popped in my head is uh, I happen to be a Rockwell Delta guy. And one of the most, the more sought after tools is the 6x48 belt sander. And uh, I happen to have two of them. One's my own personal and the other one's going to be resold. But I was just thinking, there's a lot of flat surfaces on that, up, up the side and on the back. And I was just thinking, you know, if someone was to engrave that, it would literally be like a canvas. Like it's a big slice. It's not a little yeah. part. That would be like, you know, you're looking at not not a tapestry, but I don't know what would what would an epic scene be like a relief. <laughs> right. You know what I right. mean? Right. Yeah. Like it wouldn't just be flourishes. Like what if you, what if on the side, you did like a massive engraving that said Delta Rockwell. Like what if you took the little tiny rectangular Delta Rockwell logo and you blew it up to the entire length of the sander and then embellished it with flourishes and all kinds of like little gears <coughs> and all kinds, you know, mechanical things yeah. and just, you know, the whole thing just made it look awesome. That'd be, you know. That'd be cool. Yeah. Who wouldn't want that? So. You should get working on that now. I, I think I'm going to have to put an order in after the, uh, after the podcast is done, at least for the hand piece. <laughs> to get that get it that on the way so yeah i don't know yeah. if you follow any of the uh like there's a lot of car and even motorcycle part engravers and they do some they use slightly bigger hand pieces too and they do some really big pieces kind of you know where i'm working with stuff that's really small you know they they you know most of their stuff is in built aluminum or whatever you know too i actually ran into a guy at a car show in town here and it was a low rider vehicle but everything on his car was engraved and one i was thinking I don't know how he drives that away from his house. It's got to be worth a fortune. <laughs> but then he told me there's a place I think right. in Texas that does them. And a lot of the parts are just stock parts, you know, that they can, they're not all necessarily custom. They're just, you know, because all the pneumatics for the, the air ride and everything, the whole, all that stuff was engraved and the differentials and all the suspension stuff. Crazy. Uh, crazy. Hmm. But they're, they do a lot of bigger, you know, larger scale type things. And a lot of them had scenes on them as well, but. I'm not sure what exact hand pieces they use for theirs, but it's definitely a larger engraver bit. 
to be continued. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy lubes and stuff. Hi, y'all. This is Edna down at Johnson's Hardware. Are you a hand engraver, but you're feeling caught up in all of this newfangled CNC stuff? Well, we have just the compromise for you at Johnson's Hardware. The Calligraphaser. That's right. The Calligraphaser is a handheld 80-watt water-cooled laser, and you can get it now at Johnson's for just $3,200. Now, that may sound like a lot, but it comes with all sorts of extras. You get a calligraphy book, stencils, a spirograph, and we're working with FlexArn Papping to develop the FlexArn Zapping tool. So you can use that as well, because this thing gets heavy and takes a bit of muscle to move around, but it still gives you that hand-engraved look. May cause repetitive motion problems, and may... Oh wait, no, that says will, will cause blindness. You can get it now at Johnson's Hardware. You'll find us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. This is that. I don't know if you can see that on my phone. Cake. Oh, Looks yeah. like cake. That's <laughs> the that's the coral reef. Oh. Oh, wow. And then if you think... Uh, if, if you think river tables are amazing, this is what the finished piece looks like. Oh, wow. So that's the coral reef inside with uh, cast resin on the top, making the wave that the surfer is then on. Interesting. So it's it's an amazing piece. All right. It's time for crossbreeding. Matt, what skill goes well with engraving? Uh... At least the engraving I do, I would have to say visualization. Like being able to look at a piece that you've never engraved before and make that determination as to whether or not you can make it better with engraving or if you should pass and not make it worse by trying to engrave it. Um, (laughs) You know, positive, negative space, you know, the the terrain of the tool, you know, most of them aren't perfectly flat. I spend a lot of time, whether it's in an antique store or looking at, you know, the online auction sites, trying to, in my head, visualize how the scroll's going to go, because it usually has to flow one way or the other, um, what potential things I might, you know, have issues with. Um, and then, you know, also, too, just looking at the tool itself, am I going to have to disassemble it at all in order to get to the part that I need to engrave, if it's a, you know, a complicated piece? But yeah, visualization I think is the biggest thing. I've I've talked to people recently, and like my dad even, like he's an engineer type, mechanical drawer, and he has to draw everything out before he builds it. And I usually build things like three or four times in my head, and then then just tackle it. And I've talked to several people. Some people are either in one camp or the other. <laughs> they either need plans, measurements, and cut lists, and all that, or they just are able to within their own head, kind of spatially map everything out and just and tackle it you know that's the way i've always been ever since i was a kid but but yeah the visualization you know i think you can probably train yourself to do that too the more pieces you have obviously do the better you'll get at it but that's pretty important in my book i i agree you probably could train yourself everybody except for tom tom what what skill (laughs) goes well with uh hand engraving Uh, is i say the skill 
<laughs> eyesight is not a skill, Tom. Oh, dang it. Design? Is design still a skill? Oh, yeah. Design is still yeah. a skill, and yes, it does go well yeah. with, with hand engraving. That's true. Yeah, I'd say design. I think, I mean, I, you know, I've looked at so many Stanley utility knives in my life, and I never thought, I never thought there needed to be more to it. And, and how to design something that makes it so much cooler uh, that's a that's a significant skill. So I'm going with design. All right, all right, that's good. That's Tanda, good. what about you? I'm gonna say hand-eye coordination. Looks like it's the sort of thing that would take a little bit of uh, of developing your hand-eye coordination to be able to keep something nice and uniform and okay. flowing the way you want it to without uh, making that little hiccup. That's... Having never done it. Yeah. My 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 engraving takes being able to run all the software required before sending it to the tool that makes the engraving. You should have some engraved keyboards so that you feel more in tuned with the engraving. Yeah. I could. Yeah. I should I should engrave my vice on my CNC. That too. That too. Make it give it some flair, you know. It's all I've I've done that, but it wasn't it wasn't intentional. <laughs> we won't talk about that part. Uh, well, as for me, uh, I'm going to go with the probably I would say the most important skill, which is sharpening, because all those little bits that you use to to make the thing, to engrave, they get dull, and you've got to sharpen them. And if they're Wait. not sharp, it's not going to do anything. Do you? Do you sharpen it or do you replace it, Matt? Uh, they're yeah. When they come to me, when I buy them, you know, from the supplier, they're square on the end, so I have to shape them, and then continually oh. hone them. I got diamond plates. I've actually got a oh a uh, oh, what do you call it? Like a rotary power hone as well. Dang. It's kind of like a horizontal. I didn't know that horizontal disc sander that has diamond plates oh. on it. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, Tom. Tom's lazy. He doesn't want anything that's hard. So, well, they do. They he's, do. He's have already... I'll, I'll put them in a jig, like a sharpening jig, to keep the the angles right. Yeah. So it's not freehand sharpening, but um. <clears throat> okay. But, but okay. Yeah, you can you can get. Well, maybe you pulled me back in yeah, a little. You can get pretty we'll quick see. at it, but yeah, if you break a tip, you're grinding. If you're if you're just touching it up, you can just. Uh, it really quick. Maybe maybe well, you I do just, clay the reason I asked is because it. You could engrave clay or something, and then you get a lot more mileage out of them yeah. without having to sharpen them. Yeah, well, that'd be that'd not be bad. It's still dull. Um, I I I asked because they're it's kind of a small piece, and I was like, maybe they're disposable. Maybe you just I don't know. No, no, but they're not. No, and work is involved, and I'm not thrilled about that. But uh, maybe I'll still look into it a little. <laughs> we we see, last week, Matt, we had this kind of same conversation about hand plane irons. And basically, Tom wants a disposable hand plane arm because he doesn't want to sharpen them because he doesn't like that kind of thing. So I, I've been mm. I've been there before. Depending on where you're at in the project, you're like, ah, it's it's time to pick this up another day. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I've done that before. <clears throat> I so I when I was doing my research, um, I stumbled across the the jig for sharpening engravers, and I hadn't seen that before. It looks like. It looks like the top cap for a 
uh, a Stanley hand plane that holds the blade down, and the graver goes through the middle where the screw would be, and then where the, the edge would be that's closest to the blade, there's a little roller. And so you just you put it the length that needs to make it to the correct angle, and then it just rides along and sharpens it at, at the correct angle. So it's, it's not dissimilar to the uh, hand plane iron jig, sharpening jig, um, but it just goes together a little differently. But I think I need to get one of those because I've been doing it like literally by hand. Like I've been sharpening all of them without a jig. And they're tiny. It's hard, you know. It's very hard. Could you sharpen them on like a D-bit grinder? Because I could see myself getting into engraving just as an excuse to buy a D-bit grinder and what? then getting out of engraving. <laughs> what What is a D-bit grinder? It's it's a, a grinder with a um, kind of a mitering and, and movable head to it that you can use for grinding all sorts of, of tools, um, drill bits, of course, um, but a lot of even end mills and stuff to some extent. Um, and it's uh, it it would be a very useful tool, probably more useful to me than my big surface grinder. Um, well, after that description, I'm going to say definitely not. <laughs> no, I just looked well, them up. They're, they're only a couple hundred bucks. Tanda, you have my permission to buy one. <laughs> to buy a D-bit grinder? Yeah, Oh, right like now. an import. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're not. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Well, maybe we'll talk about it in a few episodes. And now it's time for Give Me Your Best Guest. Yeah. All right, Matt. We know that hand engraving is your number one skill, but we want to know your top five. So what is skill number two? Uh, I would have to say optimization. Um, hmm. I think regardless of mm. what you're doing, I think once you get good at it, you need to get a little bit quicker at it. Um, Is that the scientist in you? Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's... I don't know. I remember seeing a video. Frank Klaus, do you guys recognize that gentleman's name? He's a Hungarian cabinet maker. Uh, he's been in a lot of the woodworking magazines and stuff. He, Klaus. He, he apprenticed under his dad as a cabinet maker, and, and he tells a story about how he kept bringing him dovetails and bringing him dovetails, and he keep throwing them away, and... Eventually got them where they were perfect, and he's like, "Great, now do it faster." <laughs> and that's just what I always kind of think whenever I, whenever I engrave a tool, or especially something that I think I'll be doing more than one of, uh, I immediately go into after I kind of figure out the design. Okay, how can I, you know, I'm sure it is the same with some of the other things that you guys do. You know, how do, how can I batch this? How can I do this in a way that actually, you know, shrinks the production time down. Um, and so that's that's just the way my mind works. I mean, I don't I don't want to get to the end of my life and think, boy, I wish I'd have taken longer to fold the laundry. I mean, everything I do, I try to <laughs> I try to optimize because I just don't want to spend all day doing it. You know, um, life's too yeah. short for that sort of thing. So I'm always thinking of optimization, um, you know, in in everything, uh, but it definitely in the engraving as well. You know, with with the Stanley knives you're talking about, I've got to strip those. I've got to sand the the casting flaws off, um, wire wheel them. I do a lot of hand sanding on them. Then I have to engrave them. Then I have to paint them, you know. And if I just did one at a time all the way through that process, it would just it would take forever. And so I do batch those um, to where I have those ready. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's one thing. I think anybody that wants to go in business and actually make money at it 
it needs to be needs to be focused. Give some focus to, and it could spill into uh, your your bookkeeping, your you know tax work, anything like that. Just need to get a good system for everything. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. You, you've you've explained yourself enough. We believe you. That's there's no <laughs> no problem. Okay, it's valid. It's valid. All right. So what what is skill number three? Um, I mean I, I'm a woodworker too. I mean dealing with some of these tools, you, it definitely helps to have a knowledge of, of what they do, how they work. You know whether they're good or if they're faulty. Um, like I mentioned with the guns, I just have I don't have the knowledge base with those, so it, it would take too much learning to get me up to speed to where I needed to be. So actually knowing what you're going to be working with, I think is, is important too. Just to know how it's going to behave, what you can, what kind of forces you can put on it. You know, I'm clamping all these things up in a vise. So, um, you know, having some knowledge of the actual, the tools themselves and then the, the people that use them and how they're going to use them too, to know, I don't want to put engraving on some part that's going to see a lot of wear because it'll just get it'll just get taken off. So I, I have to protect some of the stuff I put on these tools as well by by what where at on the location of the uh, tool I put them. So. Well, I mean that's that's easy. You just send you know you give a little brass plaque with everything and it says don't ever use this. <laughs> no. Yeah. Perfect. I actually yeah. I actually <laughs> I actually want everybody to use the stuff that they buy off of me. I. I have several people that do. I have some collectors that that don't. They've they've got really nice collections and they just put them on the wall. But I expect all of these to be used. They're all user grade, you know, or not user grade, but they're all they're all ready to go if they need to be. Um, so yeah, I love to get pictures of them in use. You know, a lot of leather workers and uh, painters, drywallers. I mean, everybody sends me photos of them once they get them, put them into use. So all right, all right. Uh, what is skill number four? Uh, I'd probably just say some mechanical aptitude. Um, like car mechanic? Uh, well, I mean, just to know how things go together and how things That's not what I heard. Oh, yeah, the rules to the podcast say you have to say mechanical aptituding <laughs> mechanical to, make it, to make it a skill. <laughs> yeah. To turn it into a skill. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's one thing, you know, to buy a compressor. You know, some of the people that may go into engraving may not know anything about compressors. You know, there's some maintenance to those sorts of things. Otherwise, you know, like the hand plane irons, you'd use the compressor till it quit and then you'd throw it away and buy a new one. But, um, you know, I, I dabble in small engine work and stuff like that. But, um, but I think having some of that knowledge, too, kind of helps a little bit as well. All right. All right. And what is your fifth and final skill in the toolbox? I'd probably have to say my science background. Um, you know, having some knowledge of, I do use a fair amount of solvents, you know, and stripping stuff and cleaning stuff. Um, and just the, the metals that I work with, um, having some, or at least being able to research and understand what I'm actually cutting on, I think helps some too. Um, so having some of that chemistry knowledge in the back helps a little bit. That's cool. It feels to me like you're over-prepared for some of these things. Cause I imagine there's like an old man out there somewhere. He's got, what, what's that made of? I don't know. I just do it. You know, like that's, <laughs> the, you know, he's just, he's, you know what I mean? Like he's just out there. He's been doing it for like 5,000 years. He's like, oh yeah, it looks like it'll engrave good, you know? <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you, you like to have information. 
that's uh power yeah. is key you know power yeah. i think like probably like a lot of you guys i like to research stuff too and dig through patents especially on some of these old tools and mm-hmm. see what not tom not tom not tom, tom doesn't <laughs> like to do that no he, he doesn't he like does. research the only research tom ever does is like the five minutes before he's asked what to do some research on the yeah. show i really like to hear when people have done that and report back that's my favorite <laughs> yes but yeah. tom likes the cliff notes research that's basically what he's saying <laughs> Was that our best guess? I don't know, but it was a guest. All right, it's time for short and sweet. Matt, do you have anything that you want to wrap up the show with before we go to the secret segment? Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> got got nothing. He said it <laughs> all. <laughs> all right, he's run out of words. Tom, what about you? I know you got something to say. Yeah, I got notes because I forget, and I probably should have said this last week. Uh, in the last two weeks, I've been on a couple uh, other podcasts. AJ Huff does one on his YouTube channel, Design the Everything, and it just has good conversations with people, and I just happen to be one of those people. I don't know how good the conversation was, but you're going to have to go check it out to find out. Also, I just did one. I don't even think it's out yet, um, and I don't think it's a secret. He'll forgive me. Uh, uh, the Olio Archive, O L I O, with Paul. Uh, go look up Olio on Instagram too. He makes he makes nice things. He makes nice things, and uh, we just had a general discussion. It was great. We uh, talked about the word I can't say this episode, <laughs> and we talked about. <laughs> I've been banned. I've been banned. You um, can say it in mm, Italian. We t- oh, I can. Oh, shoot. I forgot. No. Oh, I had it up earlier. No, I can't remember how to say it. Um, That's a pre-show callback. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, pre-show callback. Yeah, the pre-show that nobody gets to listen to. Um, so uh, go check those guys out. They do fun maker stuff. Uh, Machinist. I don't know what I'd call Olio. I don't know. I'm not going to call him anything. I'll... S- he makes cool things. Go check him out. All right. That's all I got. Olio it is. What about you, Tanda? You got anything for short and sweet? Well, yeah, I think uh, that we should allow Matt to to give a shout-out to his channel. That's what I usually usually do. Um, yes. And I, I follow you on Instagram or have just recently when we set up the show. And you do some amazing – I particularly like the French curves. That was what I found that was really – really interesting and i think that was because of having done hand drafting back in the day or something so i was kind of drawn to those but uh, do you have any other social media links or no or just YouTube instagram channel or? just instagram that's that's all i've got time for right now I'm trying to and that channel is the uh, the tool engraver tool engraver right oh. mm-hmm. is that is that all you got tanda that's yeah that's my short and sweet all right uh, well, uh, I'm going to start with the fact that um, I had an unpleasant surprise today. So I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought you'd like it. Woke, no. You woke up again. <laughs> every day. Oh yeah, it was every yeah. day, Tom. It, it just keeps keeps going. It won't stop. So I I haven't driven my truck um, since 
the beginning of January. It's been sitting. And I decided to drive it today. And I haven't been like, you know, when stuff is sitting, especially over the winter, you should like crank it over once a month to make sure everything is going well. I didn't do that. I turn it on today and it starts, but it sounds like it's not really wanting to start, but it did. And then I pull out of the driveway. I'm going down the street. It's making a funny squealy noise. I'm starting to smell something. I get out onto the main road and then my check gauges light comes on. I'm like, oh, what's happening now? And then I notice that the battery is all the way down at eight volts. And it's like, okay, I know the battery's old. It's it's needing to be replaced. So I turn back around, I go park in the driveway, go run my errands with an alternate vehicle. And then I come back and I investigate. Well, the serpentine belt for the entire engine is snapped. It is broken. Uh, not only is that it's broken, so but the idler pulley that puts tension on that belt is melted. PJ, fun fact. Yeah, I don't know if you I don't know if you know this, but um, every car that has a serpentine belt needs it to operate. Yeah, that's part of the unpleasantness I was talking that's, about when I mentioned. That's why they put them on there. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was decorative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, it's it's uh, functional. Why do they call it an idler pulley if it actually has something to do? <laughs> you got to take that up with whoever made it, Tanda. I don't know these answers to these questions. Okay, I don't even like. Above my pay grade. I don't like engines. I don't like engines at all. I'm a motors guy. Okay, I don't like stuff with gasoline what? and oil. None of that stuff. I like electric. Mm. Give me the. Electric. Oh, you can take the oil out. that's somebody else's job that's not my job okay the point i'm trying to make here is i did an investigatory all right and i went and i turned all the wheels just to make sure everything was turning and when i got to the alternator it was locked up solid and i'm like i don't think that's right that should spin well upon further investigation i found out that not only was it locked up solid but the metal housing for the alternator was cracked all over like a giant had mm. grabbed it in his fist and squoze mm. it like mm. he was trying to get water out of it. So then I, I removed it and found out that the entire thing was cracked, top, bottom, and as soon as I removed it from the engine, the alternator started to spin again. It was so bad, it had torqued itself so bad that it compressed the entire thing and it wouldn't, I'm like, oh man, that's, that's mm. not good. So uh, I I ordered a serpentine belt and an idler pulley. However, I am sourcing prices for an alternator because they seem to run a spectrum, which I want to get a good deal on. And then I did check the battery, which, by the way, is from June of 2013. (laughs) It's, it's, It's nine years old. I knew it was old because I tested it last year. I had my neighbor come over, which he came over today, too. And I said, can you get your battery tester? Because we tested, it's supposed to be 700 cold crank amps. And when we tested it last year, it was at 590. He's like, that's not bad. You can still get away with that. I'm like, all right, well, I mean, it's old, but it's still holding the charge. So we tested it today and it was down at 330. And on the tester, it says, recharge battery. (laughs) <laughs> so so it's it's hooked up to a trickle charge right now and uh maybe it'll bounce back i don't know i mean it's been sitting for three months so uh, who knows 
Plus, that alternator was faulty, so that could have been mm. a part of the problem. What do you think it happened? Do you think it got water in it and froze or cracked it or something? I I think that it's got 170,000 miles on it, and it was just like, I'm done. <laughs> that's that's what I think. I think that it was just like it had run its life. That it, it was, you know, that, that truck has, I've had very few problems with it very few problems so it it i don't know what the lifespan of an alternator is but i figure 170,000 is i got my money's worth out of it you know what i mean so for sure so there's that so that's that's my my short and sweet a little bit of a gripe but i'll fix it i don't i don't want to fix it but i will because i don't feel like paying triple that amount for my mechanic to fix it um now for our patreons uh i want to thank our top patreon sponsors uh, Tanda, our very own Tanda, Creator Nader, and Seth Williams and Emery Pickering, or uh, and also Overall MakerWorks. I'm going to include you guys in because you're sort of at the mid level. Um, the other reason that I'm including you guys is that everybody I've just read the name of is going to be getting a Johnson's Hardware keychain. And if you're wondering why I mentioned it last week and you haven't gotten it yet, it's because this has been one of the most difficult things to 3D print I've ever made. I showed everybody in the pre-show. The amount of successful prints I have is about one-fourth of the total prints I have made. This thing has failed like it's nobody's business. I feel like it's practically cursed. It's like I've had to... I had to change out the flexible hot plate because they they just stopped sticking to the one that i have it was just like i, I don't understand what happened um uh, tom, tom matt sidebar yeah mm -hmm. sidebar do, What's up? Do, do you realize how long it took me to design the johnson's logo just so that the heat distribution would be such that it could would be almost impossible I to 3d print I had a feeling. I mean, I spent hours and hours. I did finite element analysis on it. I I went to extreme measures to make it nearly impossible to 3D print. So if he pulls this off, it will only be be because he's he's had to change the logo a little bit. Yeah. Mm. So expect him mm. to and expect we'll him to say that he's added some cracks to the wood in the back or something to try to disguise the fact that he's changed the changed the logo. So. Just, just, just so you know, that'll be our kind of our inside thing, for sure. Yeah. So I won't tell him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's he's That's his perfect. colors kind of coming back after his fury. I think he's ready to talk again. Oh, and and then I had to change the spools out three times, which I I don't even understand what that was about. But the point I'm getting to here is, everyone that's getting a keychain will now also be getting a rejected keychain because. <laughs> I feel like you should suffer. If that's not a reason to sign up on yeah. Patreon, I don't know yeah. what it is. You're getting two keychains. You should suffer with me <laughs> is the point I'm trying to make. Um, it, it makes no sense why I should have this much trouble. If I knew the cause, that'd be a different story, but I, I, I'll never know. I'll never know. Anyway, um, if you would like to get a keychain, all you have to do is join any Patreon level above $1 and you'll get one. And I've been told by Tom, someone else wanted to buy a keychain, and I was going to sell it to them, and Tom's like, oh, no. 
yeah, they have to join a, a level of Patreon. Oh, that was Juan. Was that Juan? Are we talking about Juan? Yeah, it's Juan. Juan, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Juan. Yeah. Juan, I rejected it. Sorry. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, he, he, he put the kibosh on it. So, um, old-timey tools, you're, you're not getting one, man. I'm sorry. You're going to have to up your Patreon level just like all the other Patreon members that are paying more money. Uh, this is a Patreon-exclusive thing. I'm sorry, buddy, but uh, that's that's uh, it's it's integrity, man. I'm sorry, it's it's just the integrity of the keychain. Yeah, I, keychain's got to have integrity. I, I can't supersede Tom's ruling. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time.